Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Part two of Christmas week with Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Uh, today we've got uh, our friend Sean Palmer from Ecclesia down in Houston, Texas. Uh, and we're going to jump into uh, some of the uh, scandalous women from Matthew's genealogy. Uh, this is, uh, like I said, part two of three parts for Christmas week. Uh, if you didn't check out Sarah Barton yesterday, go back and do that tomorrow. We've got Faith Haygood. And um, uh, like I said yesterday, this is initially supposed to be one long podcast, but, you know, preachers can just talk. So this 15 minutes turns out to be longer than 15 minutes, so it deserves a little standalone session. So uh, jump in, check out uh, my friend Sean Palmer today, check out some good stuff. I wish... Um, um, Wish you the best. Hope you have a good Christmas, and I appreciate you listening to the podcast. So here we go. All right, friends. Welcome back to the show, Sean Palmer. How are you, Sean? I'm well. How are you, Luke? Good. One thing that I regret about this podcast is that it's just an auditory experience, and what all of my listeners are missing is what I refer to as the Palmerization of 2019, which is, I think, your best hair year (laughs) of your life. I, I just think you've, that, you've done some really good things. That's yeah. a high compliment. I take that as a high compliment from someone who spends so much time on their hair mm-hmm. as you do. Like that's a yeah. like a, I, that's really from an expert. I mean, that's that, how I receive that. That would be like you complimenting me on a sermon or like a workout selfie. Like because obviously those are your specialties. <laughs> Hair is mine. And so I'm saying like that's a very high honor. I think you're doing great things. So people, if you don't know what his hair looks like, get on Instagram and take a look. Get the mental picture and you, then get ready. You'll get the hair and the workout selfie. Yeah, you get, so. you get them all. You get them all. Here's the thing. There are very actually very few of the pictures I post <laughs> on Instagram are workout selfies. But that's the one that everybody mentions to me all the time. It's like a workout selfie. It's like no one ever mentions like me sitting reading my Bible. So I think – they think maybe they think that one doesn't happen. Like, <laughs> like there is a guy. I did hear a guy in the gym in the elevator the other day who says like he shows up and comes to the gym and just takes the selfie and leaves because he wants people to think that he worked out. Oh. And like, so, but you know, if that's if that's what motivates the crowds, it does. You know, that uh, here's here's me suffering after a workout that I used to be able to do six years ago, but now <laughs> now I uh, struggle through. Um, you're, yeah, I, I live for the people. You know, the Bible says that sp- uh, physical exercise does profit. I mean, little, but it says it profits. Oh. And so you're encouraging people to receive the profit from that. And, you know, the world says thank you. And I'm going to speak for the entire world when I say that, along with thanks for your hair. You're doing good things. And uh, today at hand, it's not a full conversation about hair. I feel like we've reached the quota on hair conversations. But we, we did won't... you Did you have a similar hair conversation with David Bentley Hart? Because that would be... Uh, no, we did 17 minutes on baseball, which is, you know, just a, yeah, they're equally as useless, but you know, Uh, yeah. I'm surprised that more of your Peter N's conversations aren't about baseball. Like as the, the Yankees fan that he is unrepentant and bound for Hades that Hart says doesn't exist. Um, (laughs) that should occupy more of more of the time you, so okay I, I, maybe a segment in the future would be you want me and pete just doing we uh, truth be told whenever there's a yankees game playoff game pete and i are texting he's like my go-to texting person for yankees baseball and so all of that all those conversations we keep via text actually i called him last couple days ago after the big signing in which we took your star pitcher 
Um, but I feel like the people don't want to hear too much of that, which is why I gave the warning before Hart, hey, if you want to fast forward through the baseball, just jump to number 17 or minute 17. So that's why you don't hear more with I, Pete. I, okay, well, sure. I, I get that. Pete, Pete ruins baseball by being a Yankees fan. I think we should call Pete ruins everything. Like on their <laughs> podcast where he does the whole Pete ruins Exodus. Well, not just Exodus, but fandom by being a he, Yankees he ruins, fan. He ruins, ruins, um, okay. I'll pass it on to him. He, yeah. It is tough being a baseball fan with an Enneagram six because the Yankees could be up like seven runs and he's going, Oh, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. We're going to lose. We're going to lose. And I, and the rest of us are hoping that they do. Yeah. And so maybe he's a prophetic voice for the rest of the world. Maybe that's what he's doing. I don't know. But what we're doing today, we're not talking baseball uh, as a ha- an Astros fan, because you live in Houston, maybe you need some trash cans to go off in the background to let you know what questions coming up next so that you can be uh, looking for the right thing. Or maybe you can have a magic bandaid that starts vibrating when you think I'm going to do an off speed question. But nevertheless, what we're going to do now is just a fastball conversation about Matthew's genealogy. Okay. I said, Sean, I want to do a brief little conversation about one aspect of Advent. And you said, I want to talk about the genealogy of Matthew. Why, why is this the text that you want to talk about? Um, well, there are a couple of reasons. The first reason is, I don't know if you remember this, uh, Luke, but about six years ago, I did a little short ebook. Scandalous Women in the Bible? Scandalous. Oh, yeah. How, yeah. How do you and think so, I'm going to forget that, Sean? Come on, man. <laughs> so I did that, and it was just about the women in Matthew's genealogy, and um, I, I gave it away for free. Mm-hmm. But what I found is like people in their churches, their small groups who got a hold of it were using it. Um, kind of conversationally. Mm-hmm. And th- that all started for me back in college. I had a professor, this was well before you were an Abilene Christian. Um, Probably before I was born. Named Andre Reznor. Yeah, pr- yeah, back in, the, <laughs> uh, back in the dark ages where we didn't have so many hair products to use. Um, Andre Reznor. So Andre Reznor did this little article in, uh, in a now defunct magazine called Wineskins called Christmas at Matthew's House, where he just sort of kind of lays out just a little, some, some crumbs about the women in Matthew's genealogy. And I'd always been fascinated by that and wanted to do a longer treatment and uh, started preaching through that in churches that did more of a liturgical calendar, especially around Advent. So um, I'd done this series called um, Leading Ladies, and I repackaged that as one called Scandalous. And then that became the ebook mm-hmm. um, Scandalous. And I just spent a chapter talking about each of the women there. And I've What's important for me about that is that I think you see the Jesus story, why Jesus behaves the way that he does, uh, treats people, not just women, but treats people the way that he does in the stories of those women. Hmm. So going back through um, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, um, Uriah's wife, uh, you get the story of Jesus and then you end that genealogy and Matthew says, and you know, Joseph, who married Mary and gave birth to the anointed one, our Savior. Um, Don't you think? And so Matthew's kind of unfolding um, this story. Like we've got these five women, all who gave birth to sons under very suspicious, scandalous kinds of um, circumstances. And obviously Matthew doesn't list every woman Mm -hmm. there, right? Uh, That's in so why why these five? Mm-hmm. Now it probably would not be customary to include women in a genealogy like this two thousand years ago. 
And so it would right. be unique for them to hear them, as in the first audience, to hear these names, especially these scandalous women's names in this. What do you think the purpose mm-hmm. that Matthew was trying to accomplish by including not just any women, but the most scandalous of women probably in the Jewish tradition? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. And the reason that I think is, is multi-layered. One, he's, good, he's about to tell a story about Mary, who says that she gave birth to the Savior. And this is going to be Mary who got pregnant before wedlock, uh, Mary who is living in this little outpost in the middle of nowhere, who gives birth to the Savior, who doesn't look anything and doesn't act anything like uh, Jewish people in the first century expected a Savior to look. And one of the things Matthew's trying to get after is, uh, yeah, this isn't going to be the story that you expected, but it's still true. Hmm. Just like this, these stories of these women, these were righteous women uh, who were subjected to uh, ridicule and scorn, who were treated unfairly in their own time. And that's part of the story. Mm-hmm. And you see it a lot in the Gospels. One of the things the gospel writers are trying to do continually is remind people, remind the Jews, particularly Matthew, hey, you've forgotten your own story. Mm-hmm. And when you when people forget their story, they make up a more convenient, more glorious one. And they leave out all of the texture and scandal. They leave out all of the places that it's kind of like the Boston Tea Party. Like almost anybody can tell you in America what happened at the Boston Tea Party. What they won't tell you is that the guys who pulled off the Boston Tea Party were tea smugglers, like they were running a legal tea smuggling ring, right? <laughs> because that doesn't – and they wanted to get rid of the British tea so they could keep their business going, right? Um, that's not the part that people tell in American history class, but it's still American history. Uh, but we just forget those inconvenient truths in the story mm-hmm. because they don't make us feel better. They don't keep myths alive. And so one of the things that besides the focusing on Mary, the second thing is to keep the actual story alive. Mm-hmm. I think thirdly, to remind a very male dominant culture uh, that these women in the story are not just part of the story, but crucial to the story. And people always need to see themselves in a story. So I remember I don't know what Luke, your experience was like going to see Black Panther in the movie theater. I don't know if you went to see Black Panther saw in the twice. movie theater, but saw I did. Twice. Okay. We, we saw it the weekend that it came out. Um, took, took our whole family. Like I wore a traditional African dashiki to go see wow. Black Panther in the movie theater. And I was not the only one, right? It was absolutely packed in the theater. 95% African-American people dressed in African garb, folks who had no interest at all in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you knew that because when the credits rolled, they all got up and left, didn't know to stay for the... The, <laughs> the after you know. one, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was seeing it was seeing their story, yeah. them represented. Um, and I think one of the things Matthew's trying to say is like, yes, this is a story... Where, the, where women don't get lost in the story, as is so often the case. And the men in these stories, um, especially like Tabar, Tamar rather, and Bathsheba, the, the men in those stories behave in 
scandalous ways, but the women are the ones who scandalize them. Yeah. Um, That's good. So, I, so, so those last week, my, my friend Ramjan, who's from Rwanda had a comedy show, uh, that, uh, was you know, 80% of it was, uh, spoken in Kirwandan or Swahili. And so he sucks me into like, not only I said I was going to go, but he actually like gets me to participate. And I'm like, uh, yeah, like, me performing in, in a you know Rwandan comedy show is just a nightmare uh, for for many reasons. But I'm like, okay, well, give me some like stuff to talk about. And I go, like Black Panther is that a, a movie that everyone knows? And he goes, well, two things. First thing he said was, uh, yeah, but uh, the Swahili in that movie is terrible. They should have at least gotten someone who could actually speak Swahili in there. And I was like, okay, good to know. But the second thing is, he says, yeah, of course we know that. That's our movie. That's our movie. And. I wonder if the same effect of now for African-Americans, for uh, Africans um, with watching Black Panther is the experience of this story because there's so many the Matthew genealogy of not just um, people who've experienced scandal, who've been a part of scandal, but but women who've been told, hey, your name doesn't really matter in this story for the most part. And Mm -hmm. you get Uriah's wife. You don't even get the name Bathsheba, which I'm sure there's a lot going on with that. But there's a lot of especially women who go, oh, wait a minute, this is a story that we matter in it, that we, that we have a part and it's not as pretty. Cause I, I like your observation that sometimes we gloss over it and give like the, um, like the American history version of a story where it's, you know, Boston tea party mm-hmm. becomes this great political act instead of, you know, something to do with, uh, some sort of thievery, but Matt, so, so Matthew's genealogy is telling us, Hey, you're all a part of this. It's, it's far more complex. It's a little bit messier than you want it to be. And, so you think that's a way that it invites everyone to see this as their story? Yeah, to kind of to enter in and um, to remind people that um, their individual story actually does matter, mm-hmm. regardless of like kind of what's gone on in their lives. So when yeah. when Matthew mentions. Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah, like that, like he's not just kind of being coy there. Like he wants his readers to know, like uh, something happened mm-hmm. to Bathsheba um, that, however you want to cast it, was not purely of her choosing. Yeah. And he he mentions that she is she stays even after Uriah is dead. In Matthew's mind, Uriah's wife, mm-hmm. right? So you just take a story like Ruth. Ruth was a foreigner, right? Um, that's important to the story because part of the Jesus story is going to be that Gentiles are now grafted in to that very large family, as Paul puts it in Romans 8. That's really important to remember. Um, um, Rahab was a harlot who helped out the Jewish spies, like Folks have a very – this is why people show up at church and you ask them how they're doing and everybody says fine. is because they've forgotten their story, wow. that it's the not fine people who have changed the world. Yeah. Um, and so religious folks tend to airbrush reality because of the fear of being left out or excluded. And part of what Matthew is saying is that you, when you, I am not airbrushing reality. And we don't need to, because at the end of this genealogy, Jesus is the Savior. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, so the story doesn't have to be perfect, because the one who is perfect is coming. 
it's Jesus. That's the perfect one. Exactly. Your story doesn't have to be perfect. Right. You said, and like, and your story is not your story is not imper- your story is not perfect, and it includes you. Mm-hmm. Jesus is here for you. Yeah. You said a second ago that it's not what you expected, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It's not what you expected, like the way for it to go, but that doesn't mean it's not true. In some ways, like that's the message of Christmas to us: is that your life may not have gone the way you wanted it. That your story so far isn't what you expected. But there's truth in it that this is the, the gift that God has given you or that the, that the Savior is still in the world, that Emmanuel, God, is still with you. How, how do we start to see that even when things aren't what we expected, that there still can be the truth that you know God is with us and that God is love and God is for us? Yeah, well, I mean, you've been in the pastorate long enough, Luke, that you could sit with any of your church members and you just remember stories and you know down deep in your soul, right, like, it never turns out the way you expect it. Mm-hmm. Like that, like that's part of what adolescents go through with rebellion and individuation is that idea that life is not what I expected um, and it's not as clear cut. And the people who handle life best are the ones who adjust and live through um, that's good. life not being yep. what you expected. And you've probably read the essay. I can't remember who wrote it. The, the essay, um, Welcome to Holland. Mm-mm. Uh, and uh, just dig it up. You can drop it in your show notes if you want. Um, you can find it on the internet, but I can't remember exactly. Um, but it's about a couple who had planned this great vacation in France, I want to say. And then they gone through all the things that you could go through to plan something like that. And they finally get on the plane and they land and the stewardess comes on and says, welcome to Holland. <laughs> in the wrong place. <laughs> and the decision then is to, um, and a lot of parents who have children who are born with things like severe autism or Asperger's, and I think that's where I encountered it because my wife used to work with that population. Uh, when life doesn't turn out the way that you want it, like you can sit and you have to grieve it not being what you wanted. Yeah, but man. there are things in Holland that are beautiful and special and unique that aren't in France. And the journey didn't end where you thought it was, but welcome to Holland. Like, this is what it is. Wow. And this is where you go from here. Uh, and so I think that's always part of the gospel story is that life is not really going to be bump free. It's not going to be without incident. And that can be, actually be a very beautiful thing. Like the, the church is not for perfect people. Jesus is not here for perfect people. Um, Jesus is here for people who have both screwed up and have been screwed over. Mm-hmm. And that's the message of that's the message of Christmas. I think that's why it's the beginning of the liturgical advent, the beginning of the liturgical year mm-hmm. is you want to remind yourself that that there is an ever present new beginning mm-hmm. with Jesus. Yeah. And that as we're going into next year, and people are kind of recalibrating or calibrating what they want their next year to be to give them an understanding that your greatest expectation, prognostication about the future will constantly need to be recalibrated because you're going to end up in Holland over and over again. And I, like, I think you're 100% accurate. Those who are able to audible when they see that the game plan is not going to work, that they've developed or they end up where they didn't think they would go, like those are the people that are able to, to, to flourish. And if you're trying to think of like one trait or one practice that helps people be able to to be uh, moldable or to be flexible in in light of life not going the way you want. Can you think of something that would be like the prescription of someone who said, "Crap, I just ended up in Holland. I thought I was going to France. Um, how do I 
live out a sort of posture that's open to what God has for me in a future that I didn't imagine. Yeah. I think for me, the avenue for that is, um, contemplative prayer. And so we joked about the, uh, the uh, Instagram thing. And I do more mornings than not sit in a big chair in my study at home and read five Psalms, which is a practice I got from N.T. Wright, and just try to receive that day, what that ever, whatever that day will be. And so that's a, you know, our mutual friend, Suzanne Stabile, uh, once said to me that spiritual formation is about letting go, not adding on, yeah, that's good. um, letting go of control, letting go of domination. And Richard Rohr talks about this and really, you know, when Rohr talks about death being the final surrender so to begin to see life as a series of surrenders, um, like for me, because I am as like, as you are an aggressive personality. Me? Right. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, to, which comes with a certain degree of control, right? Of yeah. one of desire for control and to begin to let go of the control and say like what you really want as a spiritual person, in my view, the way I think of it is to be, to be boiled down to the core. And there's, you spend the first half of life, just sort of adding things on and adding things on and, Oh, won't this be good? And I should do that. But then that carrying that around gets really, um, cumbersome after a while. And then wise people with good counsel and some spiritual directions go, you know what? There are a lot of this stuff that I don't need. Um, I don't know if you saw it yesterday or how old it'll be by the time this episode comes out, but Emmett Smith's son signed his letter of intent to go to Stanford, not Florida. And people were asking like how he felt about that, how Emmett felt about that. And Emmett said like, it's his journey, like not my journey. Right. And people, I see this, people have trouble with, with their spouses, with their kids, in their workplaces, in traffic to allow other people to have their own journey and not try to control it is hard enough, but then to not necessarily try to control all the aspects of your journey. I think that's where Dallas Willard is really um, wise and, and focusing life on just doing the next right thing. That's good. Uh, at least that's what works for me to whatever degree it does work. Yeah, that's good. I think that's a good word. Uh, you know, all spirituality is about letting go. Roar said that. And I think that's 100% right. It's not the future. It's not the relationship. It's not the career. It's not the parenting. You know, whatever. It's not what you imagined, but God is still in it. And it's still your story of redemption that God is present with you. And all. I think that's great. That's a great suggestion. Um, Sean, this has been brilliant. Uh, a lot of great advice uh, from hair care to dealing with adversity and of control. I feel like you've brought a whole lot to the table. So um, Sean, thanks. We'll have you back on. Uh, I, can we talk about like, if you, if you have any writing ever going to come out again, has that ever been discussed? No. Okay. Uh, no. So I just turned in a manuscript mm-hmm. last Friday, so a week ago. Oh, to um, yeah. So that project's actually been announced, um, and it hadn't been until it's weird to turn in a manuscript before the project's actually been announced and a press release is done. Yeah. But um, IVP is doing a series of daily readings for each enneagram number, mm-hmm. and so um, I am a three. So I wrote 40 days on being a three, which will release in the fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and Christopher Hertz is the general editor for that. And so look for that and look for your number. Of course, because I'm a three, mine will be the first and, in that series to release appropriately. So, and it'll be very successful. I'm uh, sure. It, it will, well, threes will go out and buy it mm-hmm. where, you know, dependent numbers will sit around and ask their friends and neighbors if they should buy a copy. Well, uh, well, in the fall, we will remind everyone about that. We'll have some more conversation about that. But congrats on that. Uh, happy for you. And it has been an honor. Thanks for taking the time. It's good to see you, man. Good to talk to you, Luke. Right, see you, brother. Talk to you later. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>